Uh, We'll read this passage, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the word. So Matthew chapter 4, and look at verse 1. Verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're thankful to be here this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, gather around your word, uh, singing these beautiful praises and hymns to you. Uh, we're thankful that we can stand on the promises of you, Lord, and uh, that your word is uh, forever true. And Lord, it uh, helps us, uh, Lord, in our uh, Christian life, Heavenly Father, and uh, we live by it, Heavenly Father, and we're thankful for it. And uh, Lord, we want to continue to uh, pray for Janet, Lord, as she's uh, recovering. I uh, also want to pray for a little justice, Heavenly Father, that you'll be with uh, the, the pair of them, with both of them, Heavenly Father, that they'll, uh, uh, Lord, uh, come back from hospital and uh, that they'll be well. And uh, so we're thankful for uh, all the uh, time uh, effort that Janet has uh, playing the piano here. It's such a blessing, Heavenly Father. And uh, we pray that you'll be a, a, a blessing to the Hadads, Heavenly Father. So, Lord, as we look into your word, help us uh, to be mindful of the things that we look at this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we face many temptations. When we think of the former life, uh, there was, in a sense, when you think about it, uh, less temptations. Not that temptations were any less, but we probably didn't even realise uh, that the things uh, that we so easily gave into uh, were even worthy to be called temptations. You know, many things that we as Christians say no to, or at least should say no to, the world around us just sees as normal. And uh, you might be able to resonate, resonate with me with this example. And uh, you know, I use music. Uh, a lot because that was a uh, something that had a hold on my life. But you might be able to resonate with me here. 
Did the music that you used to listen to on the radio while driving your car ever bother you before you were saved? For me, I used to even, I didn't even think twice uh, about it. You know, I'd just get in the car and drive and uh, listen to whatever was playing. I wouldn't even really consider what they were singing about or the way they even played their music. You know, there was the occasional song where I might change the radio station because, you know, it didn't sit well with me for, uh, you know, with what they were singing about or, you know, if it was straight out blasphemy against God. You know, growing up uh, with the knowledge of God and being taught Christian principles, I knew that those ones weren't, that those ones were clearly not good. Uh, but the subtle ones where they're singing about love you know, you just listen to them and you wouldn't even really consider uh, what they meant by uh, these songs when they're singing. You just, you wouldn't even uh, consider that they may be singing about fornication when they're really singing about love or you just didn't think about these things. Uh, or, you know, the, uh, you'd be tapping along to the chorus and uh, you wouldn't think that they're singing about promiscuity or you know, uh, getting drunk, alcohol and these things, or, and, and they're adding these things in there very subtly as, as part of having a good time. Uh, then there's the ungodly banter, uh, you know, between the songs that where the radio hosts, they kind of mock and laugh about things and usually speak in innuendo and sarcasm, you know, that usually has sexual and ungodly connotations. And, uh, but listening to those things and seeing them as a temptation was not even on the radar for me before I was saved. That only became a temptation from the moment I did get saved. Now suddenly I started to notice uh, what they were singing about in this music that I was listening to and how offensive it would be to God. And uh, I never thought about it that way before. I just didn't. But the temptation uh, to just brush it off and just keep listening was there when I got saved. You know, oh, I just, you know, being too much or everyone else listens to it. And uh, see, sin is so deceitful that we can get so used to it that it barely seems sinful anymore. You know, sin uh, or any sensitive sensitivity that you may have uh, been there, you know, from even growing up as a, a young person over time can become calloused or hardened to the point where you don't even notice it anymore. The unbelieving, uh, God-rejecting world that we live in has departed so far from God that they don't even recognise sin as sin anymore. That's the kind of world we live in now. So we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap of the unbelieving uh, world around us. And the Bible says in Hebrews 3 verses 12 to 13 it says take heed brethren lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin so we need to remind each other and exhort each other daily uh, to stay strong in the faith the moment we let our faith uh, slip or slide, we stop trusting in the Lord, uh, the temptations of the old life can creep back in and we can be hardened, hardened 
through the deceitfulness of sin. Sometimes uh, if someone has borrowed my car, you know, it might be uh, you know, just an extended family member or something like that. Um, you know, they don't know the Lord and I understand that as, as I used to be the same when I was, uh, before I was sensitive to these things. You know, but the, uh, the thing they usually do is they just turn the radio on and uh, tune it into a radio station because I just don't have it on in the car. And, uh, the, uh, you know, so they bring the car back and um, you know, next time I get in to drive the car and I turn the radio on and boom, it's there and it's like, yuck! I just can't wait to get it off. You know, it's like it's, it's this, the, type, the kind of thing that had a hold in my life. And uh, just the sound of it, uh, just, I, I just can't stand it. You know, I can't even uh, stand it now if I, you know, walking through a shopping centre and you have to listen to it and you can't avoid it, it's just there and um, it grieves me. You know, if I'm on a job site and I'm concreting and, you know, one of the other tradesmen over here and he's just got the radio blaring and, um, and you've got to work while listening to this stuff and I just can't stand it any, any longer. And, uh, you know, those old songs that I used to listen to can still appeal to my flesh if I let it. You know, the old man is still with me and uh, I still, by the grace of God, have to keep the old man at bay. And, uh, but the new man hates those songs. The new man that I am, I can't stand them anymore. And uh, it's bad enough to hear it walking around a shopping centre, you know, let alone playing it in my car. But I believe ungodly music is one of the primary ways that the devil uses to seductively deceive people into sin. And uh, in Ezekiel 28, 13 to 15 in the Bible, we see this said about the devil. Thou hast been in Eden, talking about the devil here, the garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Look at this. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So tabrets and pipes are musical instruments. So it appears that Satan had... Uh, responsibilities in the heavenly realm that involve uh, music. And uh, verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. But look at this, till iniquity was found in thee. So it should be of no surprise that Satan would use music to deceive people. You know, not that all music is bad. There is godly music that is good. And uh, we need to do well to discern what that is. But for the most part, what we hear on the radio these days is seductive music of the devil. And the world can't get enough of it. But I've had enough of it. I've had enough of it. And I can relate to David in the Psalms where he says in Psalm 40 verse 1 to 3, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. 
He brought me up also out of an, a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. And that motivates me right there. The Lord has put a, a new song in my mouth. I don't need that other rubbish that had a hold of my life for so many years. And my prayer is that many shall see that there is a new song in my mouth. Even praise to the Lord and that uh, they may fear, that they may trust in the Lord also. But it happens in everything. Not only music. Temptations can come from all directions for the believer. It can happen if you let your faith in the Lord slide or slip. But temptations can also come if your faith is strong. See, the devil hates it when somebody is steadfast in the faith and if they're influencing others to be steadfast in the faith. That's when the attacks can come. And they can come hard. He wants to ruin the Christian's testimony. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8-9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil has, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. See, the devil is the Christian's adversary. And if we are not sober, if we are not vigilant, if we let our, our faith slip, if we let our guard down, then he's going to devour you. Notice what it says uh, it is to be steadfast in the faith in this passage. Being sober. That's seriously minded about this life and, the, and, the, and seriously minded about the strategies that the devil would use to bring you down. William MacDonald says, an individual who takes no cognizance of the nature or character of the world, one who is unmindful of the purposes and attacks of our adversary, the devil, can afford to live in a lightened or flippant way. But for one who sees life as Jesus Christ sees it, there must be an entirely new attitude, an entirely new outlook, characterised by sobriety, soberness. The other thing we see that is characterised as steadfastness here in the faith is to be vigilant. To be vigilant is to be prepared, prepared for the attacks of the devil. That means don't be surprised by his attacks, but be ready, be prepared. Be ready in prayer. Be ready with the word of God. Be faithful in the things that we know we should be doing. Here in our passage in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4, we have Jesus who at the start of his ministry <coughs> was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And... Uh, The fact that Jesus was led up of the Spirit does not mean that he was uh, being tempted of God to sin. Don't think that. 
See, God can, allow, can at times allow the temptations of the devil to fulfil a specific purpose. So don't ever, don't ever think that every time an attack comes from the devil that God is using that to fulfil a specific purpose. Be careful not to charge God foolishly in this area. But God can use at times a temptation of the devil to, uh, to, to fulfil a specific purpose. But the, but the attack itself is coming from the devil. See, most of the time, attacks come from the devil because he simply is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And the Lord says, we as Christians need to be sober and vigilant for when that happens and to resist him steadfast in the faith. But the specific purpose of God allowing it here and Jesus being led up of the Spirit was to show that Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, has the power to never give in to the temptations of the devil. William MacDonald comments on this passage and says, the purpose of the temptation was not to see if he would sin, but to prove that even under tremendous pressure, he could do nothing but obey the word of God. See, the best defense that we can have against the attacks of the temptations of the devil is the word of God. So let's look at the first temptation here. Matthew 4, look at verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. So he was in hunger. So we see here that Jesus knows our feelings. He knows what it feels like to hunger. He knows what temptations feel like. In Hebrews 2, 16 to 18, the Bible says, For verily he, speaking about Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So don't think that there is anything that God doesn't understand about us. See, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. And the Bible says that in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, and yet, of course, without sin. See, Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted of the devil. Jesus knows what it feels like to be hungry. Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer. Jesus knows what it feels like to be spat upon. Jesus knows what it feels like to be mocked. Jesus knows what it feels like to be forsaken by even his best friends. Jesus knows what it feels like to die. Jesus knows what it feels like to have nails hit through his hands and his feet. Jesus knows what it feels like to have the skin ripped off his back. Jesus knows these things. Jesus has experienced these things. Verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. That word succour means uh, to aid or to help them uh, that are tempted. See, back in Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So here we have the devil. He's up to his old tricks again. 
So you deceive the first man in the garden by enticing them to eat the forbidden fruit. And here he is again enticing Jesus to turn stones into bread. See, Satan doesn't care about people being hungry. He's got no care about that. All he cares about is getting people to obey him and not the Lord. That's what he cares about. And he'll attack people at their weakest moment to try and get his way. But look at what Jesus says. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, Jesus uses scripture to combat the devil. He says, as it is written. See, that's why we need to get our heads into this book, the Bible. Because we can use what is written to combat the attacks of the devil. It is this book, the Bible, that records the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for this book, then there would be no faith in Jesus Christ. There'd be no faith in Jesus Christ because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I thank the Lord that it is written and that it's never going to change. But what was Jesus referring to, to, uh, to here in this passage when he said, as it is written? Well, he was referring back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, where the Israelites, before they were about to cross over to the promised land, they were reminded by God uh, of how faithful that the Lord had been to them. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 to 9, we read this, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Look at this. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Look at this. To humble thee and to prove thee and to know what is in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Look at this, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread alone, or only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as man, uh, that, uh, as man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and, and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and of barley and of vines and of fig trees and of pomegranates, a land of oil, uh, olive and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without uh, scarceness, uh, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayst, mayst dig brass. So the next time that you are tempted, take a moment and think. Think back to what you have been saved from. Think back. Think back to how the Lord saved you and brought you up out of the miry clay of Egypt, so to speak. 
and set your feet upon a rock and established your goings. Think about those things in your life since then that the Lord has allowed to make you uh, in your life to make you stronger in your faith. Think about the provisions that he has made for you on the way to the promised land. Think about where the Lord has promised to take you when you take your last breath to be with him in glory for all eternity. Because you can't live the Christian life and know all these things by eating bread alone. Food and water will only sustain your physical life. That's all it's going to do. But and then what? See, Satan wants you to be focused on the here and the now. But the here and the now was designed to be lived not by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if you do that, then the devil has got nothing. But that doesn't mean that he won't keep trying. He will keep trying every now and then. Look at verse 5, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, Look at this, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. See, this time the devil is being very cunning. He thinks, if you're going to use scripture, well then so am I. See, the devil can even try and deceive you using scripture. Did you know that? Did you know that? He does it all the time using false teachers, taking the word of God out of context. Most false doctrines are built uh, using Bible verses out of their context and twisted. That's how subtle the devil is. See, the devil here quotes a couple of verses from Psalm 91. If you want to turn there in your Bibles and have a look at Psalm 91. So Psalm 91, the psalmist is speaking about the protection that the Lord promises to those that uh, put their trust in the Lord. And now the psalmist, uh, he's speaking of spiritual truths, spiritual truths uh, for those that trust in the Lord. But he's using metaphors uh, to describe the Lord's protection. We see in verse 1 uh, that this protection is for those that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Those that place themselves there will be under the shadow of the mighty. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the, the Almighty. Uh, we see it in verse 2. Uh, it says, uh, we see uh, in verse uh, 2 that that's, if that's where you are positioned spiritually, uh, speaking, if you are under the uh, shadow of the Almighty, you can say that the Lord is your refuge and that he's your fortress. In verse 3, we see the deliverance from the snare of the fowler. It says there, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise, noisome pestilence. Uh, the snare of the fowler is referring to a bird trapper, 
who sets his trap to snare birds that are uh, unaware of the danger. Uh, metaphorically speaking, the one who abides under the shadow of the Almighty will be delivered from the snares of hidden dangers. Uh, and it's metaphorically speaking here about the fowler. So it's, you know, talking about protection from false teachers and their leaven and things of that nature. You know, the, their leaven is like a disease or a noisome, noisome pestilence. You know, this is all metaphoric uh, speech to convey uh, spirit, spiritual truths. In verse 4 it says that he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. Uh, his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. But it doesn't mean that the Lord literally has wings. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, uh, these things in a literal sense. These things are metaphors to convey spiritual truths. The whole psalm is actually framed this way. Then if we go to verse, verses 11 and 12, we see the verses that the devil quoted. And I'll also point out the part that he left out. <coughs> verses 11 and 12 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. See, the devil, when he quoted the passage, left out to keep thee in all thy ways. See, the protection of the Lord described here in this passage is speaking in general terms using metaphorical language of how the Lord will protect the faithful in all their ways when they abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It doesn't mean that we tempt the Lord to see if he'll protect us. It doesn't mean that we literally throw ourselves off a building or look for the fowler's snare to step in. It doesn't mean that we literally look for a lion and a snake to step on, as we see there in verses 13. In verse 13. See, this is why we need to know our Bibles. See, just because someone comes up and says, look here, look, what th look at this verse, look what it says, don't just believe their interpretation before you do your own homework and compare Scripture with Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that it's always wrong if someone comes up and uh, uh, does that, you know, they may, they may be right, but you've got to make sure it's right. You've got to do your homework. It's good to know your Bible. We need to be good Bereans who search the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Prove it to be right and know it's right. Not because they tell you, it's because uh, you've proven it to be right by God's Word. But Jesus knows what the devil is trying to do. And look at his reply in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus said unto him, as it is written again, <coughs> Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. See, Jesus knows his scripture. And he knows what the devil is trying to do. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, verse 16 where it says, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Again, this quote that Jesus used is, is instructions that the Lord was giving to the people of Israel before they were to cross over to the promised land. The Lord was reminding them 
of what happened in Massa. So when we go back to the scriptures and look what happened in Massa, we see it in Exodus chapter 17. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 17 in your Bibles, we'll have a look at this. This is going back to the wilderness wanderings uh, where the Lord was proving his people. And we'll read from verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Zin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. So the people, they had a choice to make. They get there, there's no water to drink. You know, they could have been uh, grateful for being led out of captivity in Egypt. They could have had that attitude. They could have humbly sought the Lord, just trusted him to get them out of this difficult situation of uh, having no water. They could have prayed and just waited for the Lord's leading, but they didn't. They decided to, ch to chide or rebuke Moses instead. Look at verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? See, if we bypass the Lord with a stinky attitude when we run into trouble and start pointing the finger and get all chidey about it, then that's called tempting the Lord. That's what we see here. Not trusting the Lord is tempting the Lord. Verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherein thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa. That's the reference there from Deuteronomy. And Meribah, because of the children of Israel, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? See, Jesus knew that the Lord was with him. He knew that the Lord was with him, and there was nothing that the devil could have said to make him think otherwise. There was no way that Jesus was going to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple just to prove a point to the devil. There was no way he was going to do that. And the devil trying to tempt Jesus to do it was in fact actually tempting God himself. He was tempting God himself manifest in the flesh. See, Albert Barnes says... It is true indeed that God aids those of his people who are placed by him in trial or danger. But it is not true that the promise was meant to extend to those who wantonly provoke him and, uh, and trifle with the promised help. 
Thus Satan artfully uses and perverting scripture was met and repelled by scripture rightly applied. And that's exactly what Jesus did to him. <coughs> Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But then we see the third temptation that the devil tempted Jesus with. Look at verse 8 to 10 of Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus, uh, then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus again is using scripture. He's, he's using scripture. So this is what he's done here. And that he's, he's referring also back to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 5, verses 7, where the Lord says, Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, thou shalt not uh, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So we've got to understand this. We've got to understand that the devil has a limited jurisdiction here on this earth. He does. But his judgment is coming. And he knows it. Because there is a spiritual battle going on and the devil is using his jurisdiction to tempt people to bow down to him. This is what he's doing. But he uses music. He uses movies. He uses false teachers. He uses the promise of wealth. He uses fame. The promise of fame. He uses money. And he's deceiving a big chunk of this world with his empty promises that only lead to where he's going to end up. That's where they lead. It leads to the pits of hell to burn for all eternity. That's where it leads. And he's determined to take as many people with him as he can. But if we resist the devil and he doesn't get his way, the Bible says that he will flee. He will flee from us. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, after the devil tempted Jesus and didn't get his way, we read this. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. See, James 4, 7 to 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See, we, not, we need not to be double-minded when it comes to resisting the devil. See, when temptations come, you need to stop it in its tracks. 
And you need to resist the devil. But you need the word of God to do that. We'll, we need to keep the full armour of God to stay strong in the Lord. We need to keep it on. We have no power to resist the devil if we don't wear the armour that he has given to us. This is spiritual armour I'm talking about. Spiritual armour. <coughs> in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul and he was nearing uh, his closing remarks in his letter to the Ephesians, he says this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what's in this world. That's what we're warring against. That's what we're wrestling against as Christians. There's spiritual wickedness in high places. Rules of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places, it says. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You want to make sure that you've done all you can to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the blessed breastplate of righteousness. I just want to say that you can't even begin to have this uh, armour of God on unless you're saved. The first thing you must do is get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. The first thing you must do is realise that you're a sinner and that you're in need of God's forgiveness and that he wants to save you and that he died for you and that he uh, shed his blood for you. He went to the cross for you. He took all the pain for you. He suffered for you. That's the first thing that you need to, uh, to get right with God. Then there's the armour. Stand there for having your loins girt about with truth. Your loins girt about with truth. That's the truth of God's word. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. We need God's truth. Without God's truth, we're done. We need it. And it says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. See, that's the righteousness that you have that is found through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on that cross to save you from your sin. And because of that, the Lord wants us to put on the breastplate of righteousness and live out what we have positionally in Christ. He wants us to be righteous people. He wants us to live out the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. Positionally we have it, well, let's live it out. That's what uh, is, uh, protects us from the fiery darts of the wicked. Look at this, verse 15, "...in your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace." That's be ready to share the gospel, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. See, even that is a part of God's armour. That's a part of the armour of God. 
You know, he's saying protect your feet, so to speak. Well, why? Well, it's the feet that it's feet that God uses to spread the good news. That means going forth with the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, it says in Romans chapter 10. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherein ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. See, faith is a shield. So you can't even begin to please God if you don't have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the Bible says. So if you haven't got the, the shield of faith, then all the other armour parts are going to be useless. You know, I reckon that's why it says here that this is above all. When you believe God and you believe him, you have faith that he'll never let you down. When you trust in the Lord and you do it with all your heart, the fiery darts of the wicked can't get through. Your faith is a shield. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So if you want to protect your mind from the attacks of the devil, then uh, you need the helmet of salvation. Because the devil wants to get into your mind and he wants to turn you away from the Lord. He does it. He does it through false teachers. But you need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need the sword of the Spirit. Without the Word of God, you can't stand against the devil. You can't stand against him. Our Saviour used the word of God to combat the devil in Matthew chapter 4. And we need to as well. We need to use the word of God. Then we see there, the last two, is prayer and watching. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So it's keeping that relationship that we have with the Lord uh, fresh, always keeping it fresh, always talking to him about everything. Just talk to the Lord about everything. Keeping watch for any attacks that may come our way. Bringing everything to the Lord in prayer. Praying for others as well. So we don't want to be like the murmuring Israelites in the wilderness wanderings that tempted the Lord. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, we read this, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptised under Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them, as were some of them. 
as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed, and fell in one day three, thousand, uh, three and twenty thousand. Look at this, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples. They're examples for us. We need to take heed to these things. And they were written for our admonition. That's why they were written down for us. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed unless he fall. Now I want you to see this verse. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with but with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Look at this. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from, from idolatry. See, temptations may come, but they're not any more than anyone else has experienced. We are assured that God is faithful and will not suffer us to be tempted above what we are able. He will always make a way for us to escape uh, that we're able to bear it. That's a promise. So there's no excuse to give in to temptation. We can't blame God because he has made a way for us to escape. And therefore, it is our fault if we don't take that way to escape. That's our fault. It's not God's fault. See, God at times can let a temptation through to try you. But the reason he lets it through is for the purpose of moulding you and making you stronger in your faith. But not every trial you go through is God trying to do something. Not everyone. See, a lot of the time they are just ramifications that come from living in a fallen world. But nonetheless, they are still trials that are going to try your faith. They're still trials. 1 Peter 1, 3-7 Peter writes this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten un us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold. Well, that just means different kinds in various ways. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So when these trials come our way, the Lord's looking for something. He's looking for how you're going to deal with it. How is your faith going to be when that comes your way? But know this, know this, God will never tempt you to sin. 
Never. But he allows temptations at times for the purpose to try your faith. And the devil hates it when you succeed. But then God is glorified when you succeed. See, James 1, 13 to 16 says this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Look at this. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Verse 16. Do not err. Do not err, my beloved brethren. That's what the Lord wants. He wants us to resist temptation. So we see it there that there are some things that come together that bring forth sin. See, there's a devil's enticement that can come in many different forms. But the devil is the, origination, uh, the, the originator of all those. It's the devil that entices people to sin. But there's a point right there where you can say, no, no, I'm not going to be drawn away from my steadfastness in Christ. I'm not going to do it. But if you allow yourself to be drawn away, your lust meets with the enticement from Satan, lust is conceived, and it, bring forth, it brings forth sin. And one thing I know for sure is that whatever it is, the temptation to sin didn't come from God. See, God allows things through the post occasionally to see if you will remain faithful. He can test you in that way. But at the end of the day, there's no one to blame for your sin but yourself if you fail the test. Especially when the Bible says, do not err, my beloved brethren. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Do you love the Lord? Hebrews 4 verse 14 to 16 we read, speaking about Jesus, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. <coughs> See, Jesus knows the feeling of what it is to be tempted. But he never gave in. Not once. This proves he's more than qualified to help us in time of need. He was in all points tempted like as, as we are. But I reckon even more so. I've never had the skin ripped off my back. 
I've never had nails uh, belted through my hands and my feet. I haven't died yet. I haven't had to, you know, wipe spit off my face. I haven't been mocked like he was mocked. And I'm a sinner. And he was without sin. But he knows. He understands the temptations. But he cannot sin. And Jesus wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace when temptation comes. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But we've got to come to the Lord in prayer when those fiery darts of the devil come. We need to get in the closet, pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. And find grace to help in time of need. And he'll be there to help you. He will be. He's always been there for me. Every time. Every time. But we need to be faithful because he is faithful. Let's pray.